Welcome to the Business Wave, the Enterprise Europe Network's podcast, where you get the top tips and strategies to supercharge your small business. I'm your host, Roxandra Vosilka, and today we're talking about internal communication for small businesses. Internal communication might not always grab headlines, but it's the secret sauce that keeps your business running smoothly. Whether you're a team of two or 200, effective internal communication can boost your productivity foster innovation, and create a culture that attracts and retains top talent. So if you want to learn how to communicate more effectively with your team, keep listening. Our special guest today is Mike Klein. Mike is a business and political communication consultant in Reykjavik, Iceland. With a transatlantic practice that includes corporate, startup, and NGO clients, he's an expert on internal comms and helps organizations connect better with their employees and stakeholders. Mike is also the founder of We Lead Comms, an initiative showcasing the courage and leadership of communication professionals. He holds an MBA from London Business School. Hi, Mike, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Tell us a bit about yourself. What inspired you to become an expert in internal comms? Well, this is an area, like for most internal communication practitioners, consultants, and experts, it's not something that you decide to do as a kid. Um, I don't think any child ever has said, I want to be an internal communication specialist. Um, it's something that people discover through the course of their career. It's not a high profile field. Um, and originally I ran political campaigns in the United States. That was some, it was what I wanted to do when I was a kid. I went to a university that had really good political science programs and pretty good political internship programs. Um, ultimately, I got involved in political campaigns locally and was involved in managing campaigns and political initiatives for about 10 years before deciding to go to business school. And I managed to get into London Business School, and I went over to England to do that. And while I was there, discovered that internal communication was actually a, an emerging strategic management consultancy discipline. And so I did some some project work while I was in school. And then I got hired by a company called Smythe Dward Lambert, which at the time was trying to create itself as a management consultancy with a with an internal comms um, focus. And basically what happened to internal comms around 2000, which was just about when I was leaving um, SDL, was that there was a shift in focus away from how communication could actually help businesses drive specific results and specific impact and towards more of a um, an approach around so-called employee engagement around trying to make employees feel better about being in the organizations. And the reality is if you're measuring communications on how people feel rather than how how what they do and the impact it has on the organization you're going to have a disconnect between the value that internal comms can provide and the work internal comms is actually doing and so what i've been really focusing on for the last 20 years is to help move this conversation back onto the track of what internal communication can do to actually help businesses improve their results and I'm particularly interested in being on this program today because increasingly I see a lot of potential 
for internal communication within small to medium-sized enterprises to really turbocharge performance, increase alignment, and reduce friction, and really the need for as much management. That's an impressive career journey, Mike. And even if nobody grows up dreaming of working in internal comms, people on these teams are the superhero that we all need. They make sure everyone's on the same page, keep the team connected, and the business running smoothly. Internal comms is definitely an exciting field to be in. But why is it so important for small businesses? Well, I mean, it's become so obvious that people don't recognize that communication is as much the currency of the business as money is. So if you've got a business that's trying to produce a result or a product or a service and do so with a consistently high level of quality, people need to know what they need to do in order to contribute effectively to that. And ideally, people need to have the same basic idea of what good looks like, what alignment, you know, what the priorities look like, what the execution of those priorities look like. This is not to say that internal comms is about dictatorial micromanagement. Indeed, if you do it well, it can allow you to get the results of a consistent environment without having to have the level of detailed managerial control that you often see in a lot of organizations and particularly small to medium-sized businesses. I mean, the key thing is that, you know, one of the key things is that in enterprises with more than, say, 200 people or more than two locations, people don't know each other. They don't interact with each other on a daily basis. And so you have certain groups of people interacting with certain groups of people, other groups in interacting with others, and actually very little connection between them. And so that's where you need some kind of central messaging, but also an understanding of how people communicate with each other. You put those things together, and you don't really need to put a lot of effort into internal comms, provided you've got enough structure and you've got a regular cadence and ideally some mechanism or technology that allows you to do this effectively. We've seen why having an effective strategy and system in place is important. How can entrepreneurs align this strategy with their broader business goals? Well, I think the most important thing, if it's available, is senior management attention. You know, having a CEO who's paying attention to internal comms is a major contributor to the effectiveness of the internal comms because A, it builds credibility for the CEO. It builds an ongoing relationship with the CEO. It, you know, the CEO's voice is one that is inclined to draw the attention of um, people in the organization. It doesn't mean that the CEO's main job is to run your internal communication system. Indeed, it actually makes sense to have at least part-time experience, but part-time professional support with operating your internal comms um, activity. So say you're a company of 200 employees, you don't need a full-time internal comms person. In fact, I'd advise you against hiring a full-time internal comms person, but you'd have to have somebody in that job who's the dedicated accountable person for that job. They need to receive some training and why internal communication is often very different from the other communication disciplines. Because the key thing with internal communication 
is that you're not trying to push all the information out to everybody. Indeed, the biggest mistake I see small to medium-sized enterprises doing is that they'll hire an inexperienced full-time person, or they won't hire anybody in particular, and they'll just push out a lot of all-employing messages, or they'll have a mandatory weekly town hall, or um, they'll have some kind of a convoluted newsletter from the CEO that has the entire laundry list of communication. And then you'll have your employees taking out the stuff that they find interesting rather than the stuff that they that you need them to know, the stuff that's important to the business for them to act on. And so if you're trying to reduce the flow of the volume of communication while increasing its impact, that's where internal communication comes in. And that means having some dedicated support and ideally some basic but dedicated technology to deliver it. 100%. Good internal communication isn't about the quantity of content you produce. You need to make sure the right message gets to the right people at the right time. Right. If you're not doing that, then you're not doing internal communication. How can leaders set up an effective internal communication system and encourage peer-to-peer interaction and collaboration? Well, peer-to-peer and cross-team collaboration is a key part of internal communication. And if the CEO recognizes that it's a thing, that can be hugely helpful because if the CEO buys that this is something that it's not something that he can force and dictate through his own reporting line. Then you open up the ability to do the kind of research and the kind build the kind of approach. Because really in, a, in an organization of 200 and up, you really have about maybe 3% of your people. So maybe five people who are actually driving all the conversations. Now, the problem is that the CEO doesn't necessarily know who these five people are, and it may very well not be his five direct reports. It may be people who, you know, if they're in a particular location, are the people that people come to when they're asking for news about the company, when they're asking for professional advice, people who are subject matter experts, particularly in a small enterprise, the biggest subject matter expert may not be somebody on your executive team, but may be the person that everybody comes to when they've got questions about the subject or about what's going on in the organization. You scale up to about a thousand employees and then that group becomes about 30 or 50, but then you need to do some actual research to find out who they are. And there's a couple of approaches. Something called snowball analysis is something that somebody who's working inside of an organization could actually do with a, you know, with a small amount, you know, a half day of training. You could actually figure out how to find out who the people, who people, who are the people people go to for news, moral support, and professional advice. Now, if you want to have a detailed map of what that looks like in your organization, Then there's something called organizational network analysis. And then you ask every employee where they go to for news, moral support, and professional advice. And then you get something that looks like an airline route map. And not only do you give the list of the people who are influential, but you can also visually see how they connect with each other and with the rest of the organization. This is spot on know your audience and where they get their information. 
And once you've done your research, identify key allies to help implement your strategy. However, entrepreneurs often face constraints such as tight budgets and small teams. They ask themselves, how much will this cost? And can I really afford it? So how can small businesses optimize their internal communications despite these limitations? Well, I think you need to look at internal communications from three different perspectives. One is, how do you do no-budget internal communication? You can do no-budget internal communication in a relative, you know, in small to medium-sized companies, but you have to be extremely disciplined about it. You know that you have to have a communication cadence. You need to have some regular channels that somebody in the organization is responsible for filling on a regular basis. And you've got to have some idea of who you're, you've got to do some research into who your influencers are. So you're not just sending out, you know, doing all employee communication all the time. This is where lots of small and medium-sized companies really start to fall down because you inundate people with too much information too much of the time um, and without giving them much guidance around prioritization. So you have to have some regular tools and some discipline around priorities. That's what you could do if you've got no budget and you don't have a professional comms person. At the other end of the spectrum, for a moderate amount of money, you know, say for instance, you can spend, you know, say 60, 70,000 US a year on this. You have what you do is you hire a quarter time dedicated comms person. Somebody who could give this 10 hours a week, who can actually write your copy, manage your channels, and conduct your research. That you know, so you're spending about half of it on that. And then the remainder either goes to having a platform that actually is designed to deliver the stuff in a strategic or for targeted path fashion, or having, you know, say for instance, if you've got Teams or if you've got Google Suite and you don't have the bandwidth for more software, you know, other than say a plugin like Soundbite, then you need to have somebody who's trained up in being able to use that suite of not necessarily fit for purpose tools to be able to cobble the tools together from that suite that you can manage a regular, consistent, and I use the term two-way very selectively here because internal communication is not two-way. It's multi-directional. And organizations that think it's two-way, two -way, again, line themselves up for disaster because they, they end up ignoring the peer-to-peer -peer communication that takes place that's actually often more important than the formal communication. But somebody who can actually oversee and maintain you know, a basic infrastructure that will allow for regular company-wide communication and targeted communication to formal groups like functions or teams, but also informal groups like people who have a common professional specialty, new hires, or um, people who have interest in promoting common change agendas. So that's, and then in the middle, um, 
you need to look at, okay, what are you really trying to do as a business? And then trying to the maximum extent possible, deciding whether a communication is released to the population based on whether it's relevant to that overall objective. That's kind of, those are kind of the options available to um, companies that aren't really able to professionalize an internal comms function from, from the ground up. The key takeaway is that you can communicate effectively with your team, even on a tiny budget. And from my experience, a bigger budget doesn't necessarily mean better communication results. It's about the strategy behind how you use those resources and prioritize actions that will have the greatest impact on your business. Right. And I also offer uh, a free 40-minute consultation if you're starting from scratch particularly and you want to just kind of get your thinking organized around this. There you have it. Feel free to reach out to Mike for a strategy call to get started. And speaking of getting started, we see this struggle a lot. Small businesses invest a lot of time and effort in internal comps, but often miss the mark. No one's clicking those emails or reading that newsletter you've spent two days tweaking. How can you break through the noise and create internal messages that truly resonate and stick? Yeah, there are ways to make internal comps engaging and memorable. Um, but you have to be really disciplined about it because you can very easily disappear down the rabbit hole of trying to entertain all employees. And the reality is not all of your messages are going to be relevant to all of your employees and putting a lot of work into making messages entertaining and engaging often can be counterproductive. Because actually, in any situation, in any organization, you've got three distinct groups of people that you're dealing with at any given time. You've got the people who need to lead, the people who need to follow, and the people who need to get out of the way. And that sounds really harsh and brutal, but it can actually be quite liberating. Because the people who need to lead, they need to know what the solution is. They need to know why the solution was chosen. They need to know how the solution works from end to end. And they need to know what the potential pitfalls are so that they can actually help lead and manage the organization around those pitfalls. So say, for instance, your small to medium enterprise is a boutique hotel in a small European capital. And you're not a chain hotel, you're just an independent hotel. And the management team started reading about the occupancy rates. They noticed that there was a drop-off and that the competitors down the block were doing better. And so they did a little market research and they said, the thing that people complain about was the check-in process. So they choose some software for the check-in process. And then they have certain people in the business who need to be trained in that software. So you've got, in this case, two groups of people that need to be trained. You've got the front desk staff and the housekeeping staff. Why the front desk and the housekeeping staff? Because the front desk are going to have to relearn how to do a check-in. They're going to need to learn what, you know, how to deal with 
the new screen, the new buttons on the screen, the new language that's being used to describe the actions that they used to take that use different terminology, they're going to need detailed ongoing training in this so that they can improve, use this tool to improve their check-in, their side of the check-in experience. Housekeeping doesn't have much direct contact with the guests, but housekeeping's ability to update the availability of rooms in real time is crucial to the success of improved check-in because the biggest check-in problem that a hotel has is that you get guests who show up early and there are no rooms available for them. So they've got to sit in the lobby and after they've been on an overnight flight, they're not necessarily going to be in the mood to do that. So the housekeeping folks need to be trained, but they don't need nearly the level of detail that the front desk folks do and absolutely not the level of detail that the leaders do then you've got the people who work in the restaurant and who work in the in the you know the the meeting rooms they aren't affected at all by this they need to be told something because they're friends with the people at front desk and they're friends with the people at housekeeping and they're going to notice that the people at the front desk and the people at housekeeping are stressed. So they're going to need to know what's happening. But the main message for them is that it's happening. These are the people who are involved. You're not directly involved, but rest assured this is being handled competently. And in the end, it will make us a more attractive location and your jobs will be more secure. That's all they really need to know. So literally in any situation in an organization, if you can break the audience down to those who need to lead, those who need to follow, and those who need to get out of the way, you can dramatically improve the effectiveness of your internal communication without necessarily a lot of additional resources. All you need to do is make sure that the messages who go to the people who lead, the messages who go to the people who follow, and the messages who go to the people get out, who get out, need to get out of the way don't have too much crossover between them. What are some common internal communication pitfalls in small companies and how can entrepreneurs avoid them? Yeah, there's 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 several pitfalls. I mean, one is obviously the indiscriminate spewing of information in all directions. And that's the biggest one by far, but there are a number of others that you need to watch out for. Um, being while it's also while it's certainly important not to be over-inclusive, you do need to make sure that you've got the right people in the right conversations, A. And B, you do need to do a little bit of qualitative research, regardless of what else you're doing from a metrics perspective. Um, and if you're not doing this, there's like one question that you're, you know, there's all this stuff about ENPS and like, you know, what's your score at any given point or what's your employee engagement score? And there's actually, I would say, too much emphasis that are placed on those magic numbers because really neither of those numbers really tell you what's going on in the background. There's a magic question that you can ask that will tell you what's going on in the background. And it's not really that much trouble to ask it and analyze the results. And that question, or what are the top three priorities facing the organization? You ask that question once a month to say 10 or 20% of your people. You know, if you've got say 100 people in your company, you ask 20 people, 
you'll end up with 60 different answers. And then you'll be able to look at what's, you know, what percentage of people are focusing on the official priorities, what which percentage are focusing on unofficial priorities or hygiene factors that get in the way. Um, you can see what priorities aren't on your radar screen. And you can also see the language that people are using to describe the priorities. So say, for instance, you may be running an initi a transformation initiative. You call it Delphi. Some people will call it Delphi. Other will, people will call it the cost-cutting program. And you know, even though they're talking about the same thing, the language that they use will give you a much clearer sense of the health of your organization than just simply a seven-score on your net and promoter score. I mean, there's another thing about employee research. Not a lot of people think employee research is truly confidential. So if they're dissatisfied and they're given a one to 10 scale, they're not gonna give you a three. They're gonna be more likely to give you a seven. I like to describe a seven as a polite three. And so you're gonna look at that and say, well, 70% of people think that everything's fine. When in fact, you've got a good chunk of those people who are overstating their happiness because they don't want to be the ones who get called out for being malcontents. All communications teams should have a bright sticky note on their desk with this one powerful question. What are our top three priorities? It's a daily reminder to stay focused on what matters, and it also shows us how others see the direction of the organization. And this brings us to change, which is part of businesses of all sizes. Mike, how can leaders communicate it effectively? I think there's two elements of effectiveness here. One is the message itself, and the other is the way that you deliver the message. One of the challenges about change, particularly in small organizations and aspirational organizations, aspiration, you know, organizations with big ambitions or with noble stances. The key thing is that those messages have to be consistent. There is a tendency in this space with the best of intentions for people to overpromise. You will have a job. We things are growing. Things are great. Things are moving in the right direction. I promise you everything will be okay. The moment that you start making definitive promises that you don't have any control over to an employee population, the moment those promises get broken, you face a severe challenge to your credibility. And unless you handle the brokenness of the problem in a generous, open, and transparent way, you will destroy your culture in the process. And I've seen organizations not just do that, but then go on the next go on the next day and act as if nothing had happened. So, I mean, the, the key thing is that you've got to be consistent in how you communicate. You've got to keep track of the promises that you've made. And if there looks like you're not going to be able to deliver on a promise, you need to give people at least a translucent warning that things may be less stable than promised or a transparent statement saying, you know, we did the best we could, but, and then ideally take ownership for, you know, and not just take ownership, but I mean, you know, absorb some of the hit for that. I mean, at a minimum, 
organizations, like if they're laying off people particularly, they need to demonstrate that there's some degree of accountability for leadership and that the organization is doing more than the minimum that they have to do legally for employees. Ideally, you know, substantially more than the minimum. I mean, you don't want to bankrupt yourself in the process because that's counterproductive. But if you want to survive and thrive and rebuild, you need to make sure that the remaining employees have some reason to trust you. So the message itself is is something you've got to pay attention to. The second thing is also the way you deliver the messages, the language that you use. being responsible for the amount of control that you have over the deck, the the ends that you seek, either the way you describe the situation or the targets that you set. Absolutely. How you say things matters as much as what you say. And remote and hybrid work have been such a major change for many. What are the major communication hurdles for small businesses with distributed teams and how can they tackle that? Well, there I, I see three big challenges. A, that they have managers who are used to running physical teams and try to run their remote and distributed teams like a physical team. That worked to an extent during COVID because you've act, you actually migrated the same teams from an office to an online platform. But what you really did was you also, you know, you, they moved with the same mindset. So when they were sitting in their their home office, they were still thinking that the boss was down the hall, even if the boss was sitting in his house in the south of France. Because mentality-wise, those relationships were still intact. One of the things that's really happened to remote and high businesses that are doing remote and hybrid is that those that have retained their legacy mentality have found it very difficult to onboard new employees, either senior employees or particularly junior employees. So one of the things, one of the talents that you should develop if you're going to continue to be remote or off or, or, or hybrid is to actively introduce people to each other in the organization. If you're doing the influence research, then you can find out fairly easily either where the gaps in the ONA map or which parts of the business are underrepresented on the snowball influencer list. And so then you find people in those parts of the business and then you introduce them to the influencers. And then those people will introduce them to the other people that they need to be able to be effective more quickly. So that's one thing. If, if you're not physically in the office, it doesn't mean that people won't interact. It means that you need to make sure that those, faci- that those interactions get facilitated. That's one thing. The second thing is that the criteria for management needs to shift as well. You know, you're not measuring people whether they're at their desk from eight to six. You're measuring whether the output they generate is delivered with sufficient quality, sufficient timeliness, and sufficient interoperability so that other people in the business can take that content, work with that content, build on that content, and help deliver what that content is supposed to be there to achieve. And that in turn requires halfway decent internal communication tools. I used to, when I was, you know, 
more actively involved in the sale of these tools. I used to describe an internal comms platform is what you migrate your headquarters to. So instead of moving your office from Degem in Belgium to Rotterdam in the Netherlands, you're moving your office from Degem in Belgium to a platform that has just as many seats, just as many interactions, and you know the the documents need to be there, the resources need to be there. There needs to be some listening. There needs some be, needs to be some ability to allow people to communicate with each other directly. There needs to be ability to convene meetings, or if you've got a suite of tools, there needs to be some common understanding about how all of these tools work together. And if you've got that down pat and you've got some discipline around measuring for outcomes instead of for, for inputs, then you've got a remote-ready or hybrid-ready management approach that doesn't need as much of a physical headquarters. What final piece of advice do you have for small companies looking to improve their internal communication? Um, three pieces. One is find internal comms people in your geographic area or online who you can talk to about this. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Hundreds of organizations think they've got an internal comms issue. They hire an intern or a junior person. That person creates something from scratch. They reinvent the wheel. They usually don't do a great job of it. It's usually better than what you have before, but you know, if you end up wasting a lot of time and money and causing a lot of friction that you can avoid if you have somebody who's got some experience at least talking with you as you go through this process, even if you're not necessarily hiring them. Because the thing is, it's like internal comms is a subspecialty of communication. It's not rocket science, but because effectively internal comms is about communicating with the fewest people that you need to communicate with rather than communicating with the most people that you can. All of the other communication disciplines, PR, investor relations, marketing, are about communicating with the full audience. Internal communication is about minimizing your audience to the maximum extent possible. And it's a different way of, it's a different game. And somebody who's coming in from PR or coming in from being a journalist isn't going to know how to play that game. It's an easy game to learn once you realize it's a different game. So that's the first thing. Second is um, either get a dedicated piece of technology or have somebody who understands how to work with the suite that you have to at least set up your internal communication channels and train somebody internally to do that. And then ideally, if you can hire somebody good part-time, even somebody who's a bit old, who's got experience, that's gonna save you a lot of time and bandwidth in the future. Thank you, Mike. We've learned so much from you today. My pleasure. Make sure to follow Mike and the Will It Comps community on LinkedIn for expert communication advice. And if you wanna reach me, just, um, my LinkedIn name is mklein818, and then my email is mike.klein at changingtheterms.com. And if you're ready to take your business global, 
Reach out to Enterprise Europe Network and subscribe to our podcast for more helpful tips and strategies for SMEs and startups. I'm your host, Sandra Vosilka, and I'll see you next time.